Today's Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading today is from Matthew. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you are the light of the world. And we pray that you would meet us now in this moment, and that your light would dawn in our darkness. We pray that as we reflect on these scriptures, as we enter this season of Advent, that you would be working on us, that you'd be stirring up within us uh, a real hope, a real hope that's grounded in your promise, a real hope that makes us durable and robust in the world and that you would be making us uh, a people who delight in your light and your love and walk in your ways. So would you meet us in this time? Would you bless it? Would you bless us? And would you use this few moments for whatever good purposes you would do? We commit this time to you and ask you to bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are now obviously fully into the holidays right? Thanksgiving is behind us. Just did that. Black Friday is behind us. I don't know if you did that, but there it is. Cyber Monday still to come. We're in the eye of the commercialism hurricane, if you will. But we're in it. We're in the holidays. Christmas is coming soon. 
and it's that time of year, right? It's the time of year when you start hearing all kinds of different music. You start smelling different smells and seeing different decorations. And we all know kind of what this time of year is. How do you feel about the holidays? How are you doing? Holidays can be really hard for some. They can be really delightful for others. It's one of these times of year that's, that's fraught. And if you have a group of this size, you can be sure that there's someone in the room for whom this is the most wonderful time of the year. And you can be sure there's at least one person in the room where this is the most dreaded time of the year, right? Whether you are kind of flooded with nostalgia when you hear a little jingle bell or when you hear a song that reminds you of your childhood or you see the sights, you know, the light show. I don't know if you grew up going to the Wanamaker building or if you grew up farther afield like I did, but there are certain things that just sort of hit us with this power because they tap into our childhood memories, right? I was just joking with my wife the other, the other day about how like you hear a little jingle bell and, and my brain gets a little dopamine shot that I can't even explain, right? It's these little neural pathways that are formed and it's powerful the way that this season wields its power over us. And I can even feel the tug in my own self of like, I want to buy things, you know? Maybe you feel that too. And so there's a sense, if, you, if you're like that, if you're like me in that sense, and, and you get kind of caught up into the holiday stuff, and you're kind of drawn into some of the more kitschy, sentimental stuff, the holidays can be an opportunity to escape into the season, right? Where all of the sentimental stuff, all of the kitschy stuff, whatever, becomes an occasion to just like stay positive, Lean into the season, let it carry you away. But for others, if this is a painful time of year, the holiday season is a time you want to escape from, right? Like it's, there's, there's, this can be a time where if you experience life, uh, if, you, if you feel lonely, this could be one of those times of year where, where loneliness feels the most painful. If you've lost someone that you love, this time of year can be one of the most difficult as that the, the hole in your life left by someone who's gone looms larger. It's a real thing. Many of us know this feeling, right? Many of us experience this aspect of the holidays. Or there's also just this other aspect of the holidays are a time where we find ourselves in family situations that are atypical of our normal year. But these are special seasons where we find ourselves with people who are maybe some of the most difficult, the ones who've hurt you the most, the ones that you're stuck with relationally, but don't have the opportunity to actually go deeper and do some of the healing work, either because of a lack of willingness on the part of you or someone else, or the lack of opportunity because you live far away and this just isn't something you get to invest in. And so there can be these long relationships that go way back, but that can be so painful and the holidays become this moment where we find ourselves in like the crucible of extended family. And that can lead to rupture, stress, dread. So the holidays, if, if, if that's what leads in your mind, if, that, if that's how you experience the holidays, you might want to just escape from the holidays. Pull the covers up over your head, wake me when it's January, right? The holiday season being what it is, with all the commercialism, all the sentimentalism, all the stuff, it lends itself to being 
a time of escape, whether you're escaping into it or escaping from it. But Advent, what's different is that it invites us not to escape, but to engage. Advent, the season, it overlaps on the calendar. It's many of the same days of this commercialized leading up to Christmas season, right? It's the same calendar days, but the nature of the season is so different because Advent isn't about the cheap sentimentalism or consume your way to happiness or whatever. Advent begins in the dark and is about the light of the world coming to meet us in the real darkness of our stuff and the light winning in the end. That Jesus has come into the world, that the light of God has come into the world, the darkness could not overcome it, the darkness will not overcome it, and that the same Jesus who came 2,000 years ago at Christmas to make good on the promise of God is the same Jesus who's gonna come back and make all things new. The Advent hope that we cultivate in this season is a hope that is rooted in the promise of God who keeps the story moving forward toward the great conclusion that he has promised, that he will make all things new. That God who has created a world to thrive, has created a world of beauty, of relational richness, of health, of agricultural fullness, of culinary beauty and goodness. God who has made a world of natural beauty, who has empowered humans to develop a world of cultural beauty, that this God is actually bringing to completion the recreation of a world as it is meant to be. A world where justice prevails, a world where love wins, a world where relationships are rich and good and bring wholeness and joy. A world in which sickness doesn't tear us apart or make our bodies fail. A world in which life lasts forever and sorrow doesn't. That's not just pie in the sky wishful thinking. That's not just staying positive. That is hope that God is bigger than this stuff that we experience and that our circumstances as we live in them that those don't speak most truly and definitively about who we are, where we are, or where we're headed, but that God speaks a different word over us in Christ. And that that word that God speaks over us, that is life, is a word that he actually became himself in the flesh in this beautiful mystery that we celebrate at Christmas. And we're getting ready for that. We're preparing ourselves to enter that mystery where we recall that God stepped into our world as a person like us. That the creator of the universe who made all things and holds all things together by the word of his power chose to become a little infant baby who couldn't hold up his own head. It's incredible. But we're preparing for more than just celebrating that mystery. We're preparing ourselves for Christ who comes again. Christ who comes again to make the world what God intends it to be. And so part of what we do in Advent is we enter into practices where we remember that the light dawns in the darkness. We take up prayers that remind us that we're watching and waiting for a day that is yet to come. We take up practices that ground us not in this hope that maybe things will get better, but that God who raised Jesus from the dead is raising us and all of creation to what it ought to be in the end. 
and that love wins. And that the darkest darkness, no matter how dark it gets, it doesn't get the last word. And so we're a people who watch and who wait. We're also a people who weep as we watch and we wait. But Advent begins in the dark and takes us to the light of God who dawns in our darkness. Now this series that we're starting here in Advent, we're calling it Images of Hope. And we're just reading a few sections from the book of Isaiah, the prophet, uh, that, are, that are the readings from the Revised Common Lectionary, which the lectionary, if you've ever used one, it's just a list of readings that follows a calendar. And it's a, it's a list of readings that's used by churches all over the world. And so actually on this particular Sunday, there are churches all over the world that are reading the same exact text and reflecting on the same image of hope, of swords being beaten into plowshares. It's an incredible image where the instruments of war are transformed into instruments of agriculture, where the things, the weapons that are used to destroy life are transformed into things that are used to bring forth life. But it's an image that doesn't stand just on its own, right? It's attached to this other image of Zion, right? As we just read, that Zion, the Lord's house, Zion is poetic shorthand for the place where God lives in the world, the intersection of heaven and earth. It's sometimes shorthand for the temple. It's sometimes shorthand for the mountain on which the temple rests, or it's sometimes just shorthand for where God is, which is there in the Hebrew Bible. So it's this picture of this Lord's house being established as the highest of the mountains, that it should be raised above the hills and the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that may he, we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's a picture of the living God, the God of Israel, whom we now know as God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who's revealed himself in Jesus. It's the picture of this God ruling over the world in such a way that all of the different nations who had been at war with one another are now coming together under his unified reign. Because this God is now the one judging between the nations. They're not taking matters into their own hands anymore where they have to carve out their own space in the world with warfare, where they have to claim and defend their own territory. But now the mountain of the Lord is being raised up like, like, a, like a growing mountain with the temple on it, right? And the Lord from that place is reigning over all the nations, bringing forth this way of ruling that is good, that makes the world to be what God intended it to be. This is not tyranny, this is not imperialism. This is the creator of all things, calling all nations to lay down their arms, to put away the violence, and to discover what life is, and to fall in to the beauty of, and the goodness of God's life-giving reign. And so the picture is these nations that were enemies are now united under this one God. And so they don't need weapons anymore. 
The only work that's left to do is farming. So they beat their swords into plowshares. They beat their instruments of war into instruments of agriculture. Now this image <clears throat> comes at a time where Isaiah's writing in the time where the kingdom of Israel is divided and Assyria is growing to more and more power, danger is looming on the horizon and there are messages of warning, there are messages of all kinds of calamities coming, but there's this enduring promise that Isaiah gives that on the other side of the calamity is goodness. Because no matter what is coming, God keeps his promise. And this kingdom that God promised would come from David and then extend into all of the world forever, it looks like that's about to get blown up. And it is. But the hope that he's casting isn't that we're gonna avoid disaster. The hope that he gives is that on the other side of disaster, God wins. That the hope isn't just anchored in this present moment. It's about something bigger and God keeps his promises. Now, as we read this story forward into the New Testament, as we meet Jesus, as God reveals more of who God is to us in Jesus, and we see the particular way that this story unfolds to its fulfillment, what we begin to realize is that the calamity that will ultimately fall upon God's people falls upon Jesus himself at the cross. And that the promise of the goodness after judgment or the goodness after tragedy is a promise of resurrection after death. And that Jesus experiences that in his own body and in his own life, and then sends his spirit to join us to him so that what we will experience in our own bodies and in our own lives is what he himself has undergone. The resurrection life is the promise that is for you and for me. That ultimately the hope isn't your situation will improve. It may or it may not. God actually doesn't promise that. What we know is that God raises the dead. What we know is that our human tragedy of living away from God and against one another, our living in a, in a world that has gone chaotic, that those stories tend to end in death. And that my story will almost certainly end in death. And so will yours. Except that God doesn't let death get the last word. God doesn't let the darkness win. And just as God raised Jesus from the depth of darkness and death, so too will he raise us. So too will he renew the face of the earth. So too will he make his heavenly city to be here in this place. And we will live with God forever in the goodness of what God is bringing to fulfillment. And the, the hope for you and me in the here and now is that our life that we live in this moment is attached to that future. And the lives that we live here bear witness to that future. The lives that we live here sow seeds of that kind of life. And so to become a people of Advent hope who allow this swords into plowshares image to transform our imagination for how we inhabit the earth is going to be a people who take up with Jesus this life of living into the world. As Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be children of God. We become peacemakers as we find ourselves in union and communion with the one who makes all wars to cease. 
the one who brings forth a world in which there are no more swords needed. We get to live here and now in a way that testifies to the reality of that future as peacemakers who can lay down our arms, who can let go of our control, who can learn to hold our tongue, who can learn to soften our hearts, who can learn to put away those thoughts of demonizing other people, of puffing ourselves up in pride or putting ourselves down in shame, of trying to get the better of another person by winning or seeing ourselves as forever beneath them in envy. And instead, we can receive this good promise of God who says, I love you, I've come for you, I've got you. I'm bringing you with me into the world I'm making and I'm doing it myself. You don't have to grasp. You don't have to strive. You simply can rest and love and pray and serve. Love wins in the end. Light wins over the darkness. Not because we'll figure out how to try hard enough and succeed, but because God wins. The Advent hope that we get through an image like this is one, that no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter what it is that we see happening in the world, God's promised future is sure. And specifically as we live in a world that is ravaged by war, which this year has been horrific. I live in a predominantly Ukrainian neighborhood and it's been a really painful year as I've sat with my neighbors, as they've grieved over what their family members are going through, as they've been themselves in Ukraine off and on over the past year, as they've lamented what's happened in their homes or what's happened in their, in their lives of their families. It's been a really painful year where people I know and probably some people you know, their lives have been touched by unbelievable violence and destruction. And of course, we live in a city where gun violence is an unbelievable problem. There are so many tragic stories of Philadelphians waging war on other Philadelphians and using guns to do it. It's a real thing. Some of you have been touched by those kinds of stories. Some of you know people whose lives have been forever changed by those kinds of stories. This is a place and we are a people who need Advent hope. We need something better than escapism. We need something real. And God gives that something real to us in Jesus. God meets us in the real stuff of this life. He can handle it. He's dealt with it. He's risen above it and he's coming again. And he now calls us to be a people who watch and who wait for that day, who prepare ourselves to be the kind of people who would delight to see this Jesus come and judge the nations. People who are ready for him. People who would welcome him. How do we become peacemakers? How do we become peacemakers? I think it starts by taking an inventory of our swords. What are the weapons you wield? Just think about it. What are, the, what are your weapons that you use to hurt people? And what would it look like for you 
to transform those destructive things into life-giving things. Your words. How can you become a people who speak peace? Where do you sow seeds of discord and not peace in your life? What are those people in your life? Who are those people that you just have to win with them? You can't let it go. What would it look like to begin to win the person, not the argument, as we become a people who speak peace? I brought a prop. I don't usually do this, but I brought a prop. I'm going to get it. Some of you have seen this. What is this? Obviously, this is the love sign. Um, if you've been around Philly for more than a minute, you've seen a larger version of this. You've seen this. I have this on a coffee mug, even. <clears throat> so we have the love sign. We have the cross against this piece of wood. This is a gun. So my friend Rob Wilds, many of you know Rob, he learned of this guy, Shane Claiborne, who uh, has a fruitful ministry here in Philadelphia and, and, and elsewhere. But Shane does a thing where if you want to decommission a gun, he, he has a license he's, and, and will chop it. He has a saw and a license and he'll show up in his car and he will cut up your gun in a way that like actually will officially decommission it. And then he has a partnership with an artist who takes the material from guns and transforms them into garden tools as a very literal practice of taking swords and turning them into plowshares. Now this gun is a little gun, um, and so it wasn't big enough. There's not enough material to make any garden tool that could be actually useful. So this one became this particular piece. Um, this was all done. We did this at the Woodland Lawn, and so this piece is destined to hang in the Woodland Annex um, forever and ever as a, as a piece of just a, an installation there. But um, this was a gift from Rob Wilds to our church because we did it together there. But I, I bring this just because it's, to me, this, we're talking about images of hope, swords into plowshares, and these visual pieces that inspire us toward like, all right, we're going to live differently now because of Jesus. We're going to live differently now because we're a people of Advent hope. How? Live like this. Find your weapons, verbal, mental, relation. Are you a manipulative person? You know, do you use your money to like leverage yourself over other people? Like, how do you live combatively in the world? What are your weapons? And how do you re-aim those things toward life-giving practices so that instead of using your power to destroy, you use your power to speak peace into a world that so desperately needs it. Let's live like this. And the Advent hope that can buoy us as a people who are called into this vocation of peacemaking is that Advent hope that God is actually not done here. God is coming back. God hears your prayers. God blesses your efforts. God is working in you to renew you to be more like Jesus. You have his help. You're not alone. And so rather than living in an escapist way, 
this Advent season, this holiday season, where we escape into our overspending and overeating and overconsuming, watching rom-coms, if that's your thing. It's fine to do those things. It's fine to watch rom-coms. Instead of living as escapists, what if we took up the Advent season where we engaged and we said, all right, I'm going to go deeper this Advent. I'm going to engage practices that cultivate this in me and in the world so that we can be part of this great message of hope, this great story that isn't over, that God is bringing to completion. And so that we would be preparing ourselves to meet the very Jesus who's coming back to set all things right and new. And we'd be the kind of people who are ready for him. That's what we do in Advent. May God give us grace that when Jesus returns, he may find us watching and waiting for him. Amen? Let's pray. God, we bless you. We thank you for your love toward us in Jesus. And we thank you for your relentless commitment to not bail on us or give up on your promise to make all things right and new. We thank you that you've not left us alone in this world to sink or swim, but you have bound us to yourself and yourself to us. And you are leading us to the great beyond where we will live with you and one another forever in a world made right. Give us grace, we pray, to live today and this week as those who bear witness to that future and who sow seeds of joy and hope and love and peace. And give us the courage and the faith that we need to take an inventory of our weapons and by your grace to beat them into life-giving instruments that can be used by you to do good things in the world. We ask for your help. We need it. We love you and we thank you all in Christ's name. Amen.